Good morning. Today's sola is sola fide, or faith alone. Hear Paul's words in Galatians 2. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning. It's, uh, he speaks, right? I was up here uh, while John was doing that intro, and, uh, which was very encouraging. I love you, John. Thank you um, for that. I was, though, kind of standing here. I felt kind of f- funny, like this clearly domineering presence, um, you know, just kind of standing there, like not talking. But, um, no, uh, it's great to be here with, uh, with, with, um, with you all. We, uh, in Tucson, I think we planted just a couple months before you all, and we're like your bigger, younger brother, or older, younger brother, if you will, and so we kind of got that relationship, but just love being here. I know God's doing some really good things in and through Redemption Peoria, so it's just good and fun, again, to be, to be here. Um, in fact, this morning, I got to go for a, a jog, uh, more like a shuffle, um, this morning. But it was right, it was the same stretch that uh, my wife actually grew up right near here. Um, she went to Cortez High School. Any Colts? Hey, there we are. All right. I didn't go there, but I'm with you. Um, so, so anyway, I got, to, I got to go for a jog, that di- the same one I did the morning that I um, proposed to my wife. So it's just fun to kind of walk down memory lane here and be here. And, got, and she's actually here um, with some of our family. So anyway, it's fun. Even though I'm, I know I, I rep Tucson, and I don't know how all that goes here. Um, hey, there's some, there's some love in this room right now. And so um, I want to give you all a, a heads up, okay? Because again, you guys don't know me or haven't heard me preach before. Um, I have a speech impediment. And I was actually wondering before if John was going to do that part f- for me. And it would have been interesting to see how he would have explained it. But um, it'll kind of come in and out as I go. All right. So I just want to give you all a, a heads up. It's not how everybody talks in Tucson. So don't kind of use that <laughs> against Tucson. It's just me. Um, but um, let me just, let me kind of define my intentions, if you will, you know, before um, we kind of get into our time together, where we're headed this mo- morning, where we'll be is, um, okay, as you know, you're in the third um, of a five-part series through the, the solas, okay, that word is, means only, and the, um, and right, the, 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 the solas that Martin Luther really helped establish the church in, right, that was, we are justified before God, we're made right and accepted and enter into a relationship with God by his grace, his undeserved favor, through faith, a transfer of trust in Christ alone, according to the scriptures, alone for God's glory alone, all right? So that's where we find ourselves this morning is in sola fide, all right, by, by faith alone. And the hope is a lot what Josh said earlier is that we can grow kind of numb or even kind of inoculated to the gospel, all right? That word means good news. And that life, real life, everyday life, life-orienting identity um, shaped by who we are in Jesus, that, that, that the good news, all right, that's what the word gospel means, that the good news of Jesus, that his life, death, victorious resurrection, his, his, his ascent to the right hand of God the Father, and his current present, like right now, rule and reign and authority over all things, and his promised return to one day when he would say, um, when, when he would make all things new, all right? That's the gospel, and it's not just an ethereal out there thought, but it's life-orienting, life-shaping. 
Right, so in a moment, I want us to pray and, and, and again um, seek to, to be in the right posture as we receive and hear the good news of Jesus. And so let me share kind of where I'm coming from, a passage that I got to hear a number of years ago. And this is really my hope that at the end of our time, we would see and respond to the good news of Jesus more clearly. All right, so here's where um, a, a passage that the Apostle Paul um, wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my speech were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen? So let's pray together and, and seek that that's what the Lord would bring about among us. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together in your word that you've given us. And Lord, we recognize that we are prone to wander, and, and Lord, that... Um, we, we can esteem other things. We can find our identity and our purpose in other, in other ways outside of you and who you declare us to be and how you define our relationship with yourself. So Lord, we pray that through our time together in your word, which we, we, we hear in your scripture, that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. So Lord, we pray that, that we would come under the authority of your scriptures and we would be shaped and transformed individually and as a community. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we, as we said earlier, kind of the main guy, right? Kind of the big idea um, earlier in Scripture, um, not in Scripture, sorry, uh, in history, during the Reformation was this guy Martin Luther, right? And we have a close enough relationship now. If I get stuck on a word, you can just shout it out. Um, but, but warning, most people don't get it right. It's kind of funny. I'd be like, Martin, and they're like, Lester. No, no Luther. Um, so that's how it usually goes. But anyway, Martin Luther um, was actually born, this is crazy, he was born on November 10th, 1483. Okay, so he was an 80s kid, like many of us in here, but the 1480s. All right, but Martin Luther was born in, on November 10th, and then the next day, November 11th, he was baptized and given the name Martin Luther. And so that, this day, November 11th, 1483, is when, uh, was a day after Martin Luther was born. So I, I didn't know. It's not like I knew that. Like, they taught me that a long time ago. Or I just, you know, pastors just know these interesting things. I, you know, as I was doing my homework, right, and prepping for this, I, I, I learned that and thought I would share that with you. Well, I know that you guys have heard the, the history. And if you haven't, I'll just say go back and listen to the first sermon in this series where Sean really unpacked the, the, the whole story or the history of how all this came about, all right? And so I'm going to assume some of that stuff, all right? But just a quick catch-up is um, as Martin Luther entered into the priesthood, he began to grow in his faith and began to understand um, what, what the good news was. But it was the good news at that time according to Rome, which wasn't by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for God's glory alone. It included some, some, some messages that your identity and your purpose and who you are and how you relate with him is informed and defined by some other things. And, and there was this healthy understanding of sin, which we'll get into in our time together, but the, the good news, if you will, or the gospel that they really, really pressed into was 
um, man, you are so beat down on sin, okay? They stayed in that time like we just were in confession, and you need to stay there and understand how, how far short you fall from a holy and righteous and mighty God. And so as, as Martin Luther grew in the priesthood and grew in his understanding of the gospel at, according to Rome and that context, he grew more and more despairing and discouraged. And this weight of doing more, of I, I should do this, I should do that, just began to, to grow more heavily upon him. And so what he did is he walked from Germany to Rome, right? That's like a thousand miles Okay, he, because he, he thought and kind of entered into that belief that I need to enter into and understand the, the, the suffering of Jesus. And because I fall so short, I need to continue to participate in his suffering through things that I pile upon myself. Because what he did on the cross and the resurrection isn't enough. I need, to, I, need to, I need to do some more things. So he walked, again, from Germany to Rome. All right? Any of us that have like a 26.2 or 13.1 sticker on our car would be put to shame by like a 1,000 miles, right? Like that he walked that whole way. And then when he got there, he went to the Lateran church. You thought I was about to say Lutheran. Nope. The Lateran church. And, um, and there were some steps across that were the, the, um, 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 Santa Scalia, the, the sacred steps. All right. And the idea was that these steps were the ones that Jesus ascended when he was on trial before Pontius Pilate. And so during the crusades, right, we don't like to talk about that. Christian history, not a good time. Um, but during the Crusades, nonetheless, they were taken. I don't know how you take steps, but they were, all right, from, um, from Jerusalem and taken to Rome. And so the idea was that by ascending these steps, you would enter into the suffering of Jesus more and, and, and then be closer to God. And that, and that your time that you had to spend in purgatory, which I'll explain in a moment, was um, for yourself or, more importantly, for your family members, that, that time was reduced by your suffering and your participating in the suffering of Jesus. And it wasn't enough that you would just walk up the steps because, you know, you could be looking at your phone or whatever and, you know, thinking about other things. You needed to be on your knees and, and feeling the, the cold stone. And, and while going up, you would recite different things. So, again, just pause there for a moment. At the time in the Roman church and the Roman Catholic church, the idea, the understanding was um, there were two different types of sins. Okay, there were mortal sins and venial sins. Okay, and, and, and this idea was mortal sins are things that you consciously do and commit. And if you do them and then you die before those have been dealt with, um, you go straight to hell. Right, where you are eternally separated from God and, um, and, and enter into punishment and judgment and separation from him and, and, and suffering. And, and so you wanted to really make sure that you didn't commit those. But these other sins, any, anything in thought, in word, or in action that, was, that, 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 that kind of took on some filth, if you will, right? That was, was not God. In short, n- sin could be understood as not God, all right? That when God created us in his image and then, and then gave the culture mandate and said now go do everything in light of who you are and me in light of my glory and find your identity and your purpose in every relationship with God and with and with self and with the world around you based on who we are in him right that was his design that was his mandate we're like no thanks I'm going to take it on my own I'm going to find my identity my purpose Um, I'm going to relate with other people in different ways I'm going to do it on my own all right and so that broke in and that's sin in a nutshell okay it's not God it's, 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 it's 
treason and and it deserves judgment and so the idea was that there were these different sins well as john calvin um explained he said there are no venial sins the issue is not is not this separation of of sins and these ones and these ones it's it's not understanding they're all mortal sins okay if god is truly who he says he is if he's righteous and just and good then we need to understand that like Romans 3.23 says, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin, right? What you get, what you deserve, like a job, right? You have a wage. What you put in is sin and what we get back, what we deserve is death. Okay, or like I know that some of you were in Ephesians chapter 2 earlier this year that we like um, all of us by nature and by choice are children of wrath. So again, the idea is not, oh, these sins are so bad, mortal sins. And like we said earlier, sometimes our tendency as we come to church, as we come before God's word, even as we address these kind of these, these, these ideas of the five solas and by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we water down sin. But that's not, what's hap- that's not what we need to do. And again, John Calvin and Martin Luther, all the more in this time, is growing in despair as he's ascending these steps and he's seeing the hopelessness of it. He's thinking, man, I, I, should, I should climb up these on my face, by my teeth. Like, if, if no time in purgatory could purge me of all the sin that I pile on in daily, moment by moment, in thought, word, and deed. So thinking I could do these things and then finally at one point, though Jesus did some stuff that I, if I have to ask, add on to it, then I'm just full of despair. There's hopelessness. If God is holy and righteous and good, I will never, ever be able to be purged enough to be in, in, in communion, in relationship, to be justified before him. In fact, let's read Martin Luther's words as he describes this of where he fell. Let me get my eyes on here and then be able to read what Martin Luther, how, how he describes his posture and his understanding. Although I was a holy and irreproachable monk. That's this idea. is like I was better than everyone else, right? I prayed more. I walked a thousand miles. I did it all. I was the best Christian around. My conscience was full of trouble and anguish. I could not bear the words justice of God. I loved not the just and holy God who punishes sinners. I was filled with secret rage against him and hated him. Because, not satisfied with terrifying his miserable creatures, already lost by original sin, with his law and miseries of life, he still further increased our torment by the gospel. But, when, by the Spirit of God, I comprehended these words, when I learned how the sinner's justification proceeds from the pure mercy of the Lord, by means of faith, we could insert, alone, Then I felt myself revived like a new man and entered at open doors into the very paradise of God. He says, but when by the spirit of God, that's God's intervention, God doing what he could not do in and of himself, what he could never think himself or believe himself into, that God would give something that that he would comprehend these words. And these words are God's word, right? The scriptures alone, and he read a couple different places. He read in Romans, and where we're going to find ourselves this morning is in Galatians 5. These words of good news. So let's hear them and read them and walk through them together. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. 
For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. All right, so some background context for this book um, or this letter, Galatians chapter 5, is um, Paul, the, 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 the author, the Apostle Paul, writes a letter to a group of people, the Galatians. Okay, so it's the church in Galatia. All right, and it would be like saying, you know, Phoenicians, Tucsonans, Peorians, you know, whatever. Like, right, this group of people, the Church of Galatia, Paul writes a letter to them because he had, he had helped establish this church there. And people heard and responded to the good news of Jesus, the gospel, right, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And these people who had been in different contexts, they were either Jewish and they were obeying all the law, or they were out there doing other things and kind of whiling out as Gentiles. And he preached the good news and said, all can be reconciled to God and to each other by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And they heard this and they responded, right? They went to church camp, right? And they were there and they heard, they had these emotions and it felt good. And they're like, yes, I'm, 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 also, I'm set free. And then they come back into their context and they start piling it on. They start thinking, well, perhaps you have to do some other things, right? Perhaps it's not, maybe what Jesus did isn't enough. In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, and I don't have it up there, and you don't need to turn there necessarily, but Paul gets so worked up, he goes, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Okay, having begun with the Spirit, are you now trying to bring about in the flesh what only, again, what only God has done? God did a work in you. It was God's grace through faith that he provided, not something that you muster up. And, and you took that, and now you started piling onto it. And, and he says, why, why? It didn't start with your effort. Now, why are you trying to add on to that? And then in this context, he, he goes on and, and, and gives some very important words for us in verses 2 through 4. He further explains what it looks like to add to the gospel. Right? The same thing that was happening ever since sin entered into the world. The same thing that was weighing down on Martin Luther, ascending these steps on his knees, just trying to get right with God through his own effort. And the same thing that many of us in this room today continue to be weighed down by. So pick up in verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. All right, circumcision. Let me just explain briefly. For, I'm not going to get all into it too much. But, all right, in this time, um, circumcision, especially for those who came out of the Jewish faith, this was an idea. It was one of many rules and laws that you needed to adhere by and that you needed to have done. You would be circumcised if you were male on the eighth day, and there was all kinds of other stuff there involved for if you were a woman and how you needed to find your relationship with a man who had been circumcised on the eighth day. And it was all these things that were meant initially to, to, to set a people apart who still were shaped by faith, but who were God's people. And then now as the gospel came, and again, Paul talks about, he preached this gospel, he preached this good news that that, that we're called to be shaped by individually and as a community here today. And yet what was happening is these people were coming in and saying, hey, you believe that? 
you, 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 you prayed a prayer to put your faith in Jesus and you were reconciled to, to God by faith alone, by his grace alone, in the person and work of Jesus alone, the death and resurrection of Jesus alone, you did that. Well, that was good, right? Like God got you this far, but there's a little bit more. All right, you need to, in our context, okay, f- fill in the blank. What are those you need to? Right, you got to learn the language. You got to learn the secret handshake. Right, you got to have the right bumper stickers on your car. You got to vote the right way. You got to do this thing, which I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I still remember I'd already been a follower of Jesus for like 10 years. And the first time I heard quiet time, and all these kids, like church kids, were talking about quiet times, I was like, Okay, so I'm going to finally out myself here. Like, what does that mean? Like, do I go sit in a corner and, t- and time out? Is that, you know, what do I do? And, and then I began, oh, it's okay. It's like Christian lingo for, for reading your Bible and for journaling. And, and then and it was so much was just piled on. Oh, if you do that the right way in the right setting, you've got to light some candles maybe. Or I don't know, right? You gotta, whatever it is, you kind of get these things, these, these you kind of start adding. And, and there's this phrase I heard a number of years ago that's so helpful for us today and so helpful for the Galatian church in that time is this Jesus plus anything equals nothing okay the gospel the good news is this Jesus plus nothing equals everything is it not like look at me Kay like consider with me where do we fit into this what kinds of additions to the person and work of Jesus do you live under Right? He talked there earlier in verse 1 about this yoke. A yoke is what was put on a beast of burden, like an ox or a donkey. And it was this, this weight that kind of kept you in line and, and kept your head hung low and, and kept you shuffling. And let me just say, too, um, in, our, in our case, it, it, how much less effective Right? Like a, a Christian just weighed down like Martin Luther. How effective was he in loving his neighbor as himself and glorifying God as, as, as a weighted down monk ascending the steps on his knees? And, and as, as he even read there, it wasn't enough. He's on his knees. It's, he, it just, he kept piling on and piling on. He's it's like, okay, I need to do it on my face. Like, you know, climb each step with my teeth. And just, you could just feel like that's not enough. You're not, and, and again, hear me right now. It's true. It's not enough. Nothing you or I could ever do would be enough to help us identify with the suffering of Jesus uh, in and of ourselves and would be enough to reconcile us to God. And the good news and the necessary news is nothing you can do and nothing you have to do will ever reconcile you to God. However, he has done what we could never do. Amen. He came and he died on a cross. And he victoriously rose from the dead. He was a worthy, accepted sacrifice before God through Christ alone, by his grace alone. Right? We're told in, in uh, Romans chapter 5 that God shows his love for us in this. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, hear me right now. God radically loves you. Not because of what you do on your best day. Not when you have it all neat and buttoned up and you, can, and you feel good and you, you feel like you're, you're now acceptable before God. But in your very worst moment, whatever it could be, when you've you know, chucked the kid's toy, you, you, you freaked out, whatever your context is, I'm kind of airing my own stuff right now, right? Whatever, whatever it is, you know, that some people do, right? Whatever it is, in that moment, God looks at it and says, that is despicable and ugly, 
Not when we water it down and we say, oh, I slipped up. <laughs> I, hey, you know, we kind of church up sin, right? No, but in its, when we look at it in its, in, its, in its filth, God says it's filthy, it's deserving of death, and so I'll die in your place. So I'll reconcile to, your, to, to myself because I love you. Not, not when you have it all together, but, but when you're yet a sinner. We know God loves us because Christ died for us. So let me share um, a, a time when this hit began to open my eyes. And again, true confession, I'm still in this moment. But um, when I was in um, high school, like a junior in high school, and just quick little backstory. As I said, I wasn't from a Christian home, but I, I, I came to faith. Really, I see God just his pursuing love in my life way before I could have done anything to like, start a relationship with him. I said I was, I was a practical Calvinist before I even knew what that stuff meant. And this is in a Pentecostal church, by the way. So, you know, if you know some of this theological background, you do the math. But God pursued me, and I came to faith. But I didn't know what it meant to do the, the, the Christian thing. In fact, I cussed like a sailor. As like an eight-year-old, like eight to ten, eight to eleven were like my dark years. You know, no, I just, I would, um, I would cuss, and I remember finally someone at church was like, "Hey, um, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and and your mouth is really dirty." And again, I'm this little kid, and thankfully this adult had the the grace to like, you know, talk to me. And, and to, you know, and kind of explain these things to me. So I, I learned as I went. Well, fast forward, as I learned more about this Christian life, I learned the good news of Jesus. But again, like Martin Luther earlier, I began to, knew, uh, to learn the, the, the things that are like climbing the steps on our knees. The stuff that you got to do, the, the, the way you got to talk, the, the things that you need to do. And so I built this like house of cards, right, that, could, that a wind could knock over. And I lived in a cultural context where it was easier to be a Christian and kind of blend in with society. I was in the South for a while. And I was the kid that like, you know, parents were like, hey, let, let my kid hang out with you because this is a good church kid. This is a good good Christian kid, you know, picture like, you know, head rub, right? I was always short. So they're always, you know, head was always getting rubbed and like, Hey, we want our kid, right? I got free pass and I could come and sleep on people's couch and eat all of their food. Cause I was a poor kid. And so I learned to hustle, you know, Christian hustle. Right. And I could, I could kind of, but no, I just, this, it was a good life. It was easy. And my Christian faith was pretty easy to navigate culturally. Well, fast forward, I moved down to Tucson. I don't, again, don't diss Tucson, right? It's not just Tucson, but it wasn't the Bible belt. Right, and I'm there, and I'm in Tucson, and it's not as easy. And so, fast forward, I wasn't in this Christian context, and my faith that had been built upon these things that I did, these additions to the gospel, was eventually exposed. And again, just all fast forward, I, I started drinking every once in a while, and then I, I'd get drunk, and then um, on like a Friday night, and then on like a Sunday, I'd start to feel convicted. All right. And I'd start to be like, oh, man, I'm going to get this right. So what would I do? How do you get right with God? You go spend five hours having a quiet time, right? Like I had learned in church and youth group, right? Oh, you go do, you go listen to these songs and you, you journal about it and you do all these things. And then you're right. And then I feel good. All right, God, I got this. Hey, that stuff was old. Let's not even talk about that again. Now I'm new, right? I will never again do this stuff, right? And, and, and then sure enough, right? Like a circus, do, 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 right? Like next Friday, same deal. I'm out with my friends. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to buy in this time. So I'm not going to drink with you guys, but I'm going to just hang out with you. And then sure enough, it would happen again, and I'd feel, I'd feel guilty, and then I'd do this same cycle until finally, in my case, I was 
um, out with some friends, and we smoked weed, which I had prompt my family was full of drug use and all these things. And I said, I will never do that. And yet I did. And God exposed to me the good news that, that he kind of started to peel away these layers of, man, your faith was never in your hands. Your, your relationship with me was never because you did all these things. Those things are good, right? James talks about as an expression, as an overflowing of his work in us. But when we try to replace his gospel with that stuff, when we start to say Jesus plus anything, then, then, it, then it falls apart, right? And so I want to ask you this morning to consider what kinds of things do you tend to add have been piling up? What kind of weight has, have you been, been, been going other? When, uh, when I, I heard um, this, this one verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, where Jesus says, blessed, that means set right, happy, joyful, made right. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and it's actually more like blessed are the impoverished. Right? That means you have nothing. You don't have two pennies to rub together. That means your works, your effort, you understand your, 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 your desperate state before God. You're so poor that he now lavishly gives you all things so that you are rich, so that you have, you have a an, an, an never-ending well to pull from that, that is not because of anything you have done or need to do, but is because of his undeserved favor poured out through Christ alone. And as you have faith, you're made, you're, you're associated, your, 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 your trust has been transferred to him by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And so as Paul closes this section, picking up in verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Only faith working through love. What love? His love. Demonstrated to you by sending Christ to die for you. Not in your best day, but on your worst day. While we're yet sinners. So as we prepare to respond, again, consider the real life place we find ourselves. What does it look like to have your whole life your, your relationship with God, your relationships with your spouse, with your kids, your relationship with yourself, how you view yourself, how you understand how God views you, how you relate with the world around you. What would it look like if that was defined, if that was shaped by the gospel, if that was shaped by the good news that, that, that everything about who you are is by grace alone, undeserved favor, through faith alone, a transfer of position and trust in Christ alone, in the finished and perfect person and work of Jesus alone, according to the scriptures alone. Okay, not just what you hear me saying, not just what you experience when the, you have the right songs on or you're doing the right Christian activities, right? Again, hear me, those are good things. But when those now define who you are, they're futile things. They're like chaff. They're like the little things that you pick and you blow into the wind. Okay, but, but when built upon the person and work and authority and declaration of who you are and what your life means through Jesus... And we can join in with Paul in the end of Romans 8, which we read some of Romans 8 earlier this morning. 
Imagine if your life was set like this when you consider, well, will it last, right? Like me as a kid there, as a high school kid of like, man, I'm piled under this weight, all this Christian activity I'm trying to do, my identity, my purpose, my relationship with God, my relationship with, with everyone around, myself, uh, uh, around me. It, I, I've, just, I've got to keep it together. I've got this, this foundation that's so futile. Well, imagine when that is transferred from self to Christ and we could join in saying these things. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, how do we know he's for us? We look at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The good news. Earlier we, I recited Romans chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. What we deserve, what our sin deserves is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've had a different understanding of how you're made right with God. And it's been more about this weight that you got to take on about learning all these different activities here. The, the, the message of this church, the message I'm sharing with you today, the message most importantly that comes from God's word is no, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if you're a Christian here today, and like me, you tend to, to put yourself back under a weight and to pile on the shoulds and to think that God's posture towards you has anything to do with the good things that you do, what does it look like for you to be set free What does it look like for you to understand that you are forgiven, accepted, loved, radically cherished, that God is always for you? That as Jesus says in in, in Hebrews 13, 5, he will never leave you or forsake you. What does it look like for all of us in this room to respond and to be anchored on the good news? That who we are is because of God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. According to the scriptures alone, for God's glory alone. Amen. All right, let's close here together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this good news. Thank you for demonstrating your love toward us and sending your son, Jesus. Lord, I don't know every need in this room. Often, I don't even know my own needs. But, but Lord, I pray that through your spirit and through this time of response, Lord, that you would, you would, you would remind us of the life-orienting good news of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.